Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney, a 2X startup founder, a UCLA Bruin with a background in engineering and an economics degree, and twice a week we'll be discussing the products, tech, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous cars as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Welcome. It's Tuesday, the 14th of May, 2019. This is episode 106, the penultimate episode of season three. We've got a great guest today. It's Mike Pinellas, PhD of Microtech Ventures. Mike comes at us from Detroit. By the way, sorry for the suboptimal audio quality on this recording. Uh, We were not able to use the Zencaster platform this time. So it's all done through the Anchor mobile app. Fortunately, Mike's voice comes over pretty crystal clear. Uh, It's my voice that suffered a bit. So sorry for that, but I hope you enjoy it nevertheless. Uh, Before getting started, though, just a few quick announcements. Um, Yeah, so just as a reminder, I am, in fact, doing a short-term relocation to D.C. for nearly a month. I'll be leaving next Monday, the 20th of May. Um, Obviously, my plan is to connect and meet with as many of you in the autonomous vehicle space, obviously, especially in law and policy. Um, What else? With respect to closing out season three, as some might perceive a bit early, usually I go on summer break closer to August. Uh, The reason for this is pretty simple, really. Um, I wanted to close out the season to coincide with my relocation to DC so that I could focus singularly on my uh, sort of on my goals while in DC, connecting with as many of you as possible and sort of laying the foundation for a potential permanent relocation there. Um, So yeah, I just didn't want any distractions. Uh, That said, the question then becomes, when will season four pick up again? Um, I don't know. Uh, The earliest would be roughly two months away following a family trip to Europe. So at the very earliest, I'll be picking up again uh, with season four in you know sometime in mid-July. So that's the optimal earliest start date, I suppose. A worst case scenario might be several weeks thereafter. But I will keep you posted. I'll update things on my various social media accounts at Autonomous Hogue. Uh, and of course, over on my website at markhogue.com. So, I think that's all I wanted to mention. Ah, just one more thing real quick. Um, if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, I had shared that there's some article going up about me um, regarding, well, the podcast generally. Um, I have now received an update that it should go live actually later today. So, I will have that link for you as soon as it's available. It'll be shared, obviously, on my various social media accounts. So uh, keep an eye open for that. Hopefully it turns out okay. We shall see. Anyway, uh, not much else to say then. Let's dive in and get started. Some 30 or even 40 minutes, rather, with Mike Pinellas, PhD, from Detroit. Microtech Ventures begins now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. 
Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Well, Mike, it's uh, great to have you here today. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Mark. Great to be with you. Big fan of your show, uh, active listener, and uh, very, very glad to be uh, on, on today's episode. Very cool. Thanks very much. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I just realized this is kind of neat for me anyway. This is uh, you, you are the penultimate episode of, of season three, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's a pretty nice feeling for me. <laughs> it, it's an honor. I appreciate it. Thank no, you. No, this, is, this is great. So real quick, um, if I'm not mistaken, we, we very nearly had the chance to meet up at WCX in Detroit last or a month ago, really. Uh, and then my plans fell through at the last second. So I regret that, but uh, nevertheless, it's great to connect now. I'm certainly eager to sort of open it up to you and learn a bit about your background and what you're up to. Yeah, very good to connect with you, Mark. And yeah, we're based here in Detroit, so you're you're welcome uh, anytime you're in town. Please let me know. Well, thank It'd you. Be great to 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 meet up. Um, yeah, so so we're we're based in Detroit. Uh, I can give you a little bit of a history about our firm and uh, our focus. Um, we started in 2003 as uh, a newsletter called Mem's Journal, and we uh, uh, we started really from scratch and grew, grew it over the years uh, to become the largest publication in the, in the area of Mem's and sensors. And you know, and just to be clear for listeners, this is Mem's as in microelectromechanical systems, correct? That's correct. So That's outside correct. of automotive, an analogy for everybody listening would be, say, the motion sensor in your iPhone, for example. That's right. That's one of the applications. That's one of the applications. And, you know, the, uh, of course, uh, recently, especially with autonomous vehicles and ADAS applications, there are now more and more applications for sensors in our cars. And uh, MEMS is a type of technology that can uh, take a sensor and miniaturize it, make it small and cheap. And so uh, there's been a lot of interest, increasingly more interest in the automotive community uh, in um, uh, for sensors, of course, and, and MEMS technologies in particular. So we started, uh, you know, this business really as a newsletter, and we've evolved over the years. We started doing uh, our own conferences. And, um, uh, for example, this year we have our ADAS Sensors Conference that we held in March here in Detroit, and we have our Automotive LiDAR Conference, which is coming up in um, at the end of September again here in yeah, Detroit. Yeah, you know, you, you, I said WCX. I meant... I meant the ADAS conference, yes. They, they were sort of back-to-back -back in Detroit. That's why I was confused. Sure, sure. And we participated in both. But, okay. Uh, you know, what, but ADAS Sensors is one with, that we organized, and uh, um, uh, the uh, WCX is the one that we attended, and it was a good show as well, for sure. So, uh, so yeah, and over the years, we, we've, we've developed our business, and Microtech Ventures is the new entity that we've set up really two or three years ago. And the focus for that is venture capital, angel investing, and M&A advisory services, specifically in areas of sensors, MEMS, and microtech. And the two primary verticals, the two primary industries that we were focused on with those um, uh, uh, that we're focused on are uh, in, uh, me uh, automotive and medical. Hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so automotive, of course, because it, again, uh, there are so many sensors and smart technologies that are going into our cars, and the, the, the content of sensors and electronics is just continuing to grow. 
So that's a very brief introduction. Okay, interesting. So I didn't even, I had not put two and two together previously. So to be clear, this is essentially a venture fund. And I'm guessing you're, invest, you're looking for startups in that particular space then. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're, uh, we're growing into uh, this venture fund by starting a portfolio of companies that we're um, essentially seeding with our own money and uh, making angel invest investments into er primarily early stage, pre-seed and seed stage companies. Oh, very cool. And we, and we see this as the foundation for our venture capital fund. So we're, 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 uh, we anticipate that we'll be raising the fund. We're targeting a hundred million dollar fund. Uh, and, you know, probably in the next two, three years uh, time span as one will, will, will raise it. So we're, we're not necessarily in a big hurry uh, for it because, again, we're developing our portfolio and uh, setting the, the stage with our angel investments. And then we're also doing a lot of work on the M&A side, mm -hmm. uh, again, mm -hmm. in the area of sensors and MEMS. Uh, these are tr you know, traditional M&A advisory services, but, um, uh, but again, with this focus on sensors and MEMS, that's, that's where our expertise is. Gotcha. Um, bef before diving into a discussion on the technology itself and the wor your work in the field, um, I, I'm really curious to ask sort of a tangential question, if I may. Um, it's something I've wondered sure. for a while. I've asked others. I'm curious what you think. So given that you're now getting into essentially this, you know, this, this venture space, this investment space um, in this particular field, um, I, I kind of have had a theory for some time now that this autonomous vehicle revolution that we're just getting into, um, I should say in the broader sense, also electrical vehicles, electric vehicles, um, I really kind of believe it's going to lead to a genuine full renaissance of Detroit, of Pittsburgh, and I, and especially looking at what both those cities are experiencing now. Um, and then I, I should say specifically, I would say with Pittsburgh, right, they, they have what five different autonomous vehicle companies, if you include Carnegie Mellon University and the work they're doing. Do, do you tend to agree? Do you see a pretty amazing future for these two cities? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, you know, being uh, based here in Detroit, uh, we're, we're biased, but I can tell you, if you look at any objective metrics, uh, whether just activity in downtown, activity with startup companies, investment investors, uh, you can look at Detroit and, uh, and, and just see a huge transformation uh, from, let's say, 2008, 2009 to now. There's just so much more. Um, you know, the downtown is very much alive and, you know, really, really thriving. Um, um, if you go, you know, I can tell you that uh, I've been in this area. I went to University of Michigan in Ann Arbor for grad school. And, you know, what's funny is I was born there because my dad got his PhD there as well. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, small world. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, seriously. that's great. Uh, yeah. And, you know, but, you know, and I, you, so you probably know and remember that. Uh, we no, moved I when I was for... only a baby, so unfortunately, no. I'd love to get back and visit. <laughs> okay, well, again, anytime you're in town, thank you, thank you. Know. Uh, but but you know, I, I just you know, last few years, I think maybe last couple of years, I've been to downtown Detroit more uh, times than all the pr prior years combined, and you know, it's just increasingly uh, becoming a hub of activity. There, there's. there's uh, Techstars Mobility, for example, uh, now called Techstars Detroit. I mean, every year they have a batch of startup companies that are working on uh, 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 mobility technologies, including autonomous vehicles. You know, we have so many conferences. When we when we started to pull together a conference on ADAS, this was actually not that long ago, maybe five six years ago. 
we the first time we tried to do it, we actually could not do it. And some people said, hey, you know, why are you guys doing it in Detroit? You know, Detroit is kind of on the downslope. Huh. You know, do it in Silicon Valley, do it, you know, somewhere else. And we said, well, you know, Detroit is, you know, there's still a lot of automotive industry here in Detroit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, and now, you know, four or five years later, there's just been so much activity. Again, people coming into Detroit, conferences, investors, startups, uh, you know, Silicon Valley is certainly a very, very active hub as well. But I think Detroit and, you know, I think Pittsburgh uh, can certainly hold their own and have their own unique advantages. Uh, uh, so, yeah, definitely. The answer is yes. We're, there's a lot of very good activity here. And, and we're feeling very optimistic about the future of Detroit. And I would say Pittsburgh, although I don't know it as well, of course, as Detroit. But for Detroit, I can say for sure. Yeah, very cool. Well, look, I'd love to talk about this more later on uh, offline. But uh, as an aside, I'm, I'm actually going to be spending the next almost a month in D.C. And I'm hoping to at least try to get out to Pittsburgh. Detroit's going to be a bit too far, obviously. But uh, who knows? Maybe we'll be able to cross paths while I'm at least a little bit closer. We, we shall see. Um, Sounds good. Sounds yeah. Good. So let's see. Um, so let's talk a bit about the tech. Um, I wanted to ask one sort of threshold question. You had mentioned two times, actually, um, that there's a very obvious application for MEMS devices generally in vehicles just thinking out loud does is this not is this not simply because of their size but rather because they essentially can react for lack of a better term almost instantaneously to any sort of uh, inertia any sort of momentum is that the idea is that why they're so well suited to vehicles well yeah it it, it uh it depends of course on the application and uh, you know the context and uh really there, there are actually quite as you as you know, there are lots of different applications for sure. in the car, but you know I'd say the primary advantages is that with MEMS technologies, they can um, these are small devices and they are relatively inexpensive devices. They're right. cheap devices. You can you can make them using semiconductor yep. uh, types of processes, so you can make them in batch mode and and make them quite cheap. And so uh, so that means that you can put more of them into the car. They're small. They're light and um, and they're inexpensive. Uh, but yeah, as far as some of the sensing modalities, if you will, they, there are in some applications, some advantages as well. Um, um, but, uh, but generally speaking, uh, um, generally speaking, the, the, the top advantages of most devices are that they're small, inexpensive, um, and, and uh, uh, I would say those are the top ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Interesting. So what was your focus? Uh, so your PhD at Michigan, what, what was the particular focus in electrical engineering? Yeah, so my, my focus uh, within electrical engineers was actually on MEMS and microsystems. Ah, so there you I, go. You know, so, so, yeah, so I've been, I've been doing this uh, MEMS and microsystems stuff for quite a long time mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. That reminds me, as, as an aside, uh, one of my best friends from UCLA days, his, his PhD was on terahertz imaging, so millimeter wave. Um, I think for what I perceive to be rather obvious reasons, I haven't heard of or read anywhere of any potential use cases for that frequency with autonomous vehicles. Um, am I correct? There, there wouldn't be any particular use case for that, would there? Yeah, you, you know. Uh, I mean, they visualize uh, really well through liquids, maybe. So that could be useful, right? To look through, say, snow-covered roads, perhaps. <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I think there there could be could be some radar related applications uh -huh. um, as possible. Um, uh, you know, this is an area that I don't know too much about, but um, you know, I think that what's interesting now is is you look at a lot of these technologies that were de developed for, the, let's say, the military or uh, just in general have been in the academia domain, if you will, and 
a lot of the stuff is now, you know, coming out of the woodwork, but the challenge is how do you, how do you shrink it? How do you miniaturize it? Uh, how do you make it cost effective so that it goes into applications such as automotive where cost becomes obviously very important, important. Exactly. So yeah, we should talk about that actually. So if I'm not mistaken, MEMS in the broad sense, anyway, that, that class of technologies, isn't that essentially what's behind solid state LIDAR, for example? Yeah, that's one of the types of technology yeah. that is called solid-state lighter. And it's right. actually interesting because when people talk about solid-state lighter, they put MEMS in that umbrella. But technically speaking, MEMS is actually not fully solid-state because... Well, uh, true. For, it has moving parts, for, technically. It has moving parts. That's right. And actually, <laughs> right. And actually that's, a, that's an important point because when um, uh, there are several startups that are pursuing uh, MEMS-based steering technologies for, for beam steering for LIDAR, the, the, the big challenges there actually comes from the fact that these these really tiny mirrors are actually moving. And right. so then you start to have issues with alignment and how do these mirrors respond to vibration and other types of issues where they, they can get uh, uh, they can lose the calibration. So it's technically not fully solid state. But, yeah, yeah. as the as the industry calls them they do fall in the solid state umbrella. Yeah, that's exactly why I was asking, actually. There seemed to be, to be a bit of sort of ambiguous nomenclature being tossed about. So I appreciate that distinction. Um, so, sure. So, okay, so let's dive into the meat of everything here. I guess um, ADAS generally, and I want to kick it off with a just um, sort of another aside. Uh, a few episodes back, I guess number 98, does the name by any chance Jeff Everson ring a bell? Uh, yes, I, a little bit. Um, so, and I think I listened. Yeah, go oh, ahead. did you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was pretty thrilled. We connected a while back, and it, yeah, exactly. I was able to interview him on the show, and um, so, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, he seems to really be one of the earliest pioneers, one of the founders of ADAS generally, beginning with a lot of work. If I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly, with at least um, emergency braking for commercial trucking, and so that was a pretty fascinating conversation. And so, it's really great to kind of sort of segue from that into this discussion with you now and you know obviously so much progress has been made since then and certainly uh ADAS obviously the foundation of well all things autonomous vehicle hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price Priceline Right. Uh, right. Yeah. And th I think that's, uh, you know, when we had our conference, the ADAS census conference uh, this year, it was a very interesting, you know, shift, I think, in terms of the speakers and the audience. You know, this is the fourth year that we had this, this conference. And um, there was there's definitely in the prior years, there were this sort of I think there was more of a people were kind of putting uh, ADAS and autonomous vehicle vehicles on their different umbrellas and maybe different uh there were sort of different somewhat different groups of people and you know people were saying hey we're you know we're working on autonomous vehicles we're not really working on ADAS or ADAS guys were saying hey we're not we're just working on ADAS we're not really doing things on autonomous vehicles I think now there's more of a convergence and I think one of the big insights that came out of the conference is that people are really accepting the fact that it will take us a while to get to fully autonomous vehicles and that ADAS is really a necessary 
a stepping stone for that. And, and the, the, the two communities, of course, there's some overlap, but the two communities I think are getting closer together. And uh, you look at regulation, uh, for example, Europe is... Um, well, they're mandated, no, right, by 2021? No, exactly. That was, uh, this was actually, I think, on your show. And uh, a few weeks ago, this announcement came out that they're going to be mandating those, uh, lots of these ADAS features uh, by 2021, 2022, yep. uh, you know, into, into all, the, all the cars that are sold. And, of course, the United States, North America will follow. Uh, we think that they'll follow mostly in, in, that, in that direction as well. And we so, can't even get dynamic headlights like Audi has in Europe. So I don't know. <laughs> We're kind of dragging our feet here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, in some sense we are. But, but I think um, there's just no other way to, to go. I no, mean, no, of course. There's, 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 I'm being jokingly yeah. cynical. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, that, so, that, but that was really. I think people, for the first time this year, we really saw that people said, you know, you know, ADAS is really uh, the, the the starting point. But there was another interesting insight, and there was more talk, more talk about robot taxis. And mm-hmm. so, when, when people talk about autonomous vehicles, I think that there was consensus, uh, pretty clear consensus, that really the first market where autonomous vehicles are going to uh, uh, be used are these robot taxis. And yep. so. Um, so, the, so there's sort of the, on one side, you have ADAS that's going to evolve uh, over many years into autonomous vehicles, a platform so that will be affordable via, via subscription or, or as a purchase for, uh, for consumers. And then you have these robo-taxis, which of course are a lot more expensive, but, uh, but the use case uh, for the fleets makes sense, uh, where you have a vehicle that costs 200000 300000 dollars it makes sense from a business perspective to use this as a robot taxi. Uh, so, yeah, well, I mean, so I've always said that, you know, if you're developing an autonomous vehicle, then by definition, you're developing something with all sorts of ADAS capabilities. Obviously the inverse is not necessarily true. Um, but, but yeah, so, I mean, speaking of robot taxis, I mean, obviously Elon Musk's big announcement, Tesla autonomy day, you know, I <laughs> I feel like I've dissected that enough that we don't need to get into that, at least not directly, specifically, but so many huge implications, right? And um, I think for me, the big, the big question that I've been asking, well, just about everybody that I've talked to is why indeed is there this big push other than simple marketing hype for level five? Why don't we just settle on getting really nicely executed geofence level four solutions on the road Yep. Start with robo taxis. Start with commercial vehicles, um, and kind of leave it at that. That would be a pretty great win, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And Mark, by the way, I think you did a great job dissecting that. I think it was your hundredth. It was. Uh, did you? Episode. Oh, thank you. I, I I did listen to it. It was a great. I think it was a great. You know, a great great topic for your episode number one hundred. Well, thanks very much. And I think I mentioned to somebody. I felt like I was trying to. How did I put it? I was trying to like uh, make a glass of orange juice from an entire orchard of orange trees. I mean, it was just like three hours and a thirty minutes was kind of a tall order. So I appreciate hearing that. Thank you. Yeah, it was very good. Yep. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, and, and and going going back to your question, you know, it's a good question. I um, I guess you know, I'm thinking a little bit uh, out loud here, but you know, it seems that. Part of the whole thing from from Wall Street and investment community is that people want big markets. People want to go after the biggest prizes. And really, I mean, these are you know these are big prizes. When you when you look at robot taxis, for example, 
one of the other insights that came uh, from uh, at our conference, we had we had a talk from uh, City Research, and and um, City has a really nice report on on this topic of robot taxis. It's like two hundred pages or so, and they gave a talk at our conference as well. And they said, look, the robot taxis are really the, the market for robot taxis. Obviously, is only going to be in big cities. So you have sure. only uh, a few of these really dense population clusters, for example, in North America, where uh, robotaxis make sense from a, from a business model perspective. And so that means that whoever captures this market first is really going to dominate. And, you know, because of the scale that you need to have and uh, the investment that you need to put in, uh, really there's room for maybe, maybe two, maybe three players. And so, and so the, the Geofence stuff, it makes sense but I think that people are going after the robotaxi, the fully autonomous level five uh, uh, types of vehicles because it's a bigger price. It's a bigger market. Uh, but, but certainly, you know, people are looking at level four as well. Geofenced, I think there's interesting activity happening in the, um, the, toll, uh, the tolling community, the toll roads community, because that's, sure. a, that's an interesting use case uh, where they already have a controlled environment was the toll, ro- toll roads. And so uh, it makes sense. Uh, we think to to put in um, uh, to put in um, uh, let's say level four vehicles in that in that type of environment. Right, but but I mean, if you extend the idea of geofenced roads as a limiting herb, how shall I say? Uh, if you if you extend the idea of geofenced roads as a limited thing to its logical upper bound constraint, so to speak, where it's actually all roads, well, then it's effectively not really that geofenced at all. So. It's really only geofenced in name, not in practice, right? So, so for example, if you were to have a geofenced uh, deployment of, say, I don't know, GM's uh, cruise automation Chevy Bolts, right? And if they were capable sure. of handling, say, only one or two percent of, say, San Francisco's streets, okay, that would be geofenced in a rather limited sense, albeit not that different, I suppose, to our underground metro, which is essentially a linear path. It doesn't really branch out everywhere like in other cities. On the other hand, if these Chevy Bolts were geofenced in quotes to cover, say, 90, 95% of the streets, that, then it's, a, it's sort of a meaningless thing to call it geofenced because at that point it, it effectively isn't. Right. Uh, yeah, and I guess that... Uh, that it's yeah, virtual railroads get... is what it is. Right. Uh, yeah. And then, then we kind of get back to the question as, you know, then uh, how different is it than taking a bus? And, you well, know, that's what I'm uh, getting at. Like, exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. So uh, subway, bus. So. So, yeah. So that's that's the. Uh, and again, I think that's the more reason why people want full autonomy. These robot taxis, you want to go from your door to wherever you're going and you want that convenience and you want that, you know, you want that instant instant. Uh, ability to instantly uh, uh, call a vehicle and have it come in the, in the next few minutes. Well, then, so. okay, in that case, we cannot avoid uh, Elon Musk any longer. I mean, his claim about the Tesla network going live by end of 2020. I mean, look, even if he's just, or even if he's, say, a year or two late, which he almost certainly will be, <laughs> um, even within that margin of error, that would be an astounding, astounding thing to deliver, right? So what, what do you say about that? Well, I, I I agree with you. I think it will be I think it will be very tough. Look, you know, I think Elon Musk has done a lot for the automotive industry. I think he is, you know, the the presence of Tesla has really pushed 
the rest of the industry, uh, you know, to innovate and, and uh, to, to, you know, to try to keep up on some of these uh, new developments. Um, but I think, you know, Elon Musk, he's, he's also very clever in terms of how he uses PR and media to continue to draw attention to Tesla and to make sure that Tesla is uh, on the forefront of uh, uh, um, media pages and you know, articles that we, that we see. So, so I think it will be tough for really Tesla to deliver on these things. And you know, they do have a history of saying, hey, we're going to get to this milestone by a certain date, and they don't get there. And again, they eventually they kind of, get there. <laughs> they, 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 eventually, they eventually get there. And so the question is, uh, obviously, there's competition. So Uber just went public this week. Lyft uh, went yep. public a few, you know, a short while ago. Uh, these guys, in order for them to, you know, justify their valuations, in order for them to, uh, to get to the next step, they will need to, um, they will need to deliver level five uh, vehicles uh, at some point fairly soon in the next few years, uh, in order for them to really. Uh, uh, delivering the promise that they've, they've, they've been, they've been uh, uh, discussing with investors. So, so these guys are, uh, these guys are looking after this, they're going after this uh, market as well. And so, and of course, then there are others as well. There are other OEMs and there's other competitions. So the question is, can Tesla do it fast enough? And uh, you know, I, I think it may be quite tough, but, but um They'll get at least some parts of it, and uh, again, that, that will contribute to the industry, and it will it will move all, the overall industry forward. You know, that's that's an interesting point, and it just made me think of something a bit weird, I guess. Um, so I feel like what I remember just sort of back in the day with most technology was that we consumers were sort of impatient. We wanted, you know, oh, our computer wasn't fast enough, or the hard drive's not not big enough, or the internet's not fast enough, and so on, right? And I feel like for the first time in history, technology is actually outpacing, well, everything else, including consumer demand. And I guess what I mean by that is this, I feel like um, even though obtaining those final, what, five or six point nines to hundred percent autonomy, right? Even though, mm -hmm. um, even though that's obviously a pretty tall order, um, things are advancing by leaps and bounds. And I, and I think to the extent that it's even significantly outpacing uh, law and policy, and indeed even societal acceptance, which is a, just to me, it's a bit surprising. And again, I, I think I mentioned, well, no, I know I've mentioned this a few times in the past. Um, the only other sort of examples I can think of in the past really are, well, certainly aviation, right? And then rather weirdly, mundanely, <laughs> the elevator, right? Like building elevators were met with a bit of skepticism and concern. But my point is, is that I, I just think that things are a little bit out of sync here. We've got all the technology developing at a pretty nice pace. And everything else sure. is kind of lagging behind. That's a tricky thing. I don't hear it really talked about that much, especially the society aspect. What do you think about that? Do you agree? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, that's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, I don't remember the exact uh, 
quote from Bill Gates, but I think there's a quote of Bill Gates saying that, you know, there's, there's a market for uh, X number of computers. And basically that number was just ridiculously low, even mm-hmm. though at yeah. that time it, it may have seemed high. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you go back to the history of technology in general. You know, you, you mentioned a few examples, but again, computers, integrated circuits, you know, fax machine, phones. Uh, you, you look at you look at pretty much any technology that when it came out, people said, well, you know, this is this is kind of interesting, but it's got a niche market. The Internet itself, I think even oh, yeah. you look back at the Internet and you look at the dot com crash and the correction in 99, 2000. And people said, oh, you know, what's this? And a lot of these Internet companies, you know, they, they can't make a profit. And a few people, of course, were saying that, hey, you, you know, the Internet is going to have a, this is just the tip of the iceberg and. Uh, there's going to be a huge potential for the internet, but at that time, especially during the, those those uh, that that stock market dot com uh, crash, there was there was really a lot of pessimism. And so I think that uh, this is this is part of the same type of a pattern. Uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement uh, with autonomous vehicles, connected vehicles, ADAS technologies. There's probably going to be some sort of a correction in terms of uh, hype, but uh, but yeah, it, it's coming. And I think yeah, the society needs to catch up. It, um, it it always takes longer, you know, for, for people to kind of take the technology and use it. You you start seeing your friends use it. You see you start seeing uh, uh, you start seeing these use cases. I can tell you even from my example when when the iPhone came out, I didn't get the first iPhone. That's funny. Me too. I wasn't until 3GS. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I got the iPhone three. I think it was, <laughs> I, was uh, I think it was iPhone three. And you know when I when I because at first I saw people using, you know, there's a few people using iPhones. And I thought, oh, you know, this is kind of interesting, but I don't know. I have, I have my normal phone. It seems to be fine. But once I actually started using it, once I actually came into the store and started using it, like I bought it right away. So, you know, it's just one data point, one example. But I think that uh, just going back to, again, the, the actual data, the, the history, as with any technology, society it takes a while for it to, uh, uh, to be adopted. And, and, and the, the thing is that the price point also has to be correct. And I think with autonomous vehicles, that's actually one of the things that uh, still needs to uh, evolve and develop further. Because the price point, obviously, if, if, to put all the sensors that are necessary, to put all of the uh, technologies that are necessary for autonomous vehicles right now, it would be too expensive. Uh, mm-hmm. Even for the fleets, they're still trying to get there. So well, they true. need to get yeah, no, that, that, that's certainly a good point. Um, and actually, you said a thing I wanted to touch on. You know, you mentioned the iPhone. And yeah, so same as you, they came out in, what, 2007. I, I didn't get the first one uh, just because I thought, well, this is cool. But it doesn't, you know, there's a bunch of things about it that are a bit weird that bothered me. And then 2008 came around and I was getting ready for the California bar exam, which had I bought that iPhone before the bar exam, I would have certainly failed. <laughs> so it's a good thing I had my study group saying, don't get the iPhone yet. Um and but right. the point is about the iPhone, even when I did finally get it, and certainly prior to, fin- to, to initially getting it, um, I remember very well, like it was yesterday, my, my good friend at law school showing it to me and he's you know, showing me all these neat things it can do. And I remember I was still kind of picking apart for some reason, which is weird because I've always been such an early adopter of technology in, well, everything really. And I was sort of just picking it apart like this isn't so great or that's not so great. And he just kind of interrupted me and he said, yeah, but Mark, just look at it. Who cares? <laughs> it's not perfect, but it's the best thing in the world. And we've got the same situation with Tesla. I've had the chance now to test drive quite a few uh, Model S and Model 3. Weirdly, now that I think about it, not the Model X. I haven't even tried those doors. <laughs> but, um, you know, and as a, as, a, as a 
real car guy in every sense of the word. Um, look, I'm the first to admit, I don't think that the, I don't think the Tesla is a perfect car. Um, there's a lot of things about it, frankly, that annoy me. I can't extend my left leg fully because there's not enough, you know, dead space between, you know, between the pedal and the firewall or whatever. Um, you know, I don't find the seats particularly comfortable. I don't think I would be comfortable for more than two hours in that thing. There's a lot of little things, okay? It's not perfect, sure. but it's the best. <laughs> it is absolutely the best thing that you can get with four wheels, um, objectively anyway, um, admittedly not subjectively. So, and I think that's an important distinction for folks to kind of wrap their head around. And that's where we're at right now, the state of the art. Um, one last quick comment you mentioned, you know, earlier also about aviation. Uh, there's a fundamental difference though, right? Between the deployment of aircraft and this transition to autonomous vehicles, which is for all intents and purposes, um, driving is sort of a thing that yeah, I get it. In America, driving is more of a right. In Europe, it's more of a privilege. But putting that distinction apart, driving is sort of a thing that we humans have, that's just what we do in most parts of the world. Aviation was, to use a weird word, has always sure. been sort of an optional thing. You didn't really have to embrace it if you didn't want to. But this transition, getting people to embrace and to move towards autonomous driving, that's almost going eventually to become a mandate. Well, actually, it will literally eventually be a mandate. You will not be allowed to drive. But even putting that aside legally, just being okay with the idea of autonomous cars, it's just going to be thrown in everybody's face whether they like it or not. And I think that's what makes it so profoundly different to anything else in the history of, well, anything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the threshold, this is, you know, some of these prior patterns of technology adoption, of course, there are some elements with autonomous vehicles that apply, but but the threshold needs to be higher because there's a safety element that's involved. And it's, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's a that's one of the biggest things is, is the safety. People you know, weren't the, dying. The iPhone phone, back to that example, of course, you know. Well, and ironically, they're buy. dying more now taking selfies with an it, iPhone. Exactly. So, but, but that was still a big... Sorry, that was pretty dark humor, but it's true. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, this is uh, <laughs> well, you know, you exactly. You, you know, you look at uh, just driving around. Well, so many people are looking down on their mm -hmm. phones, and you know, I'm not talking about just the passengers. You know, a lot of drivers, obviously, too. So yeah, you know, so I think, but but going back to the iPhone analogy, it really needs to be this threshold, right? Because remember, it was the <laughs> yeah. iPhone. There was the yeah. there was the Newton that uh, the Newton device that, that Apple developed. So there were there were, there were prior, prior iterations, and so and so when when will uh, the question is when will the benefits clearly outweigh the risks uh, that people will just start buying autonomous vehicles or 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 getting them as a service type of a subscription uh, type of a format. When will when will this happen in the in the mass market? It's tough to say because there there you know there there um, uh, the tipping point. It's tough to predict, but but uh, one of the things one of the so I was exactly sure going cost, to say that at the very least, uh, still obviously, uh, market demands will change according to whatever is the most cost effective, right? And so there's the uh, professor over at UC Irvine, Daniel Sperling, and you know he breaks down the numbers pretty neatly. Uh, in his book, Three Revolutions, you know, he talks about this need that you know, it's not simply, or it's not sufficient to have simply uh, automation and electrification, but you need also to have, of course, carpool, you know, car sharing, as it were, right? And if you, once you get the intersection of all three of those, then in fact, you can drive down the cost per mile. I'm looking for the chart here in front of me. I think it's something like, oh, here it is, uh, what, two, yeah, 20 cents per mile, 
uh, excuse me, no, down to 10 cents or less per mile. Um, I mean, at the very least, that's going to be a pretty compelling argument for people to embrace autonomous cars. And then, oh, by the way, they'll discover, hey, these work better, they're safer, et cetera. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that would be that would be huge. Ten cents per mile, and mm-hmm. I, th- I think I'm familiar with the chart. Uh, that yeah, you, because that right, because if you compare yeah, it that to would be, that would be what, very, Ubers very and Lyfts and so on, sure. I mean, those are what two dollars per mile, I guess, give or take. Well, it depends on your market, of course, but um, yeah, yeah, of course. Right, market, and depending on what time, etc. But yeah, that's you know it. It's it's convenient. I would say that Uber, Lyft, it's convenient. But as far as price point, you know, it's still I think quite pricey uh, uh, for for people to. I think for for an average person uh, to let's say go from the airport for a half hour, let's say here in Detroit, uh, you know, it's, it's it's significant. I mean, it's it. It's, well, look, of course, it's and that's obviously on the same order of magnitude as what a taxi. As easy car. it is, to, uh, I think, so, to compare an autonomous pod car, for lack of a better word, I think it's a bit missing the point to compare it to. Lyft and an Uber, even though that's the easy comparison, I think the better comparison might actually be to privately owned new and used privately owned cars. Um, because again, kind of to the point I think you're alluding, uh, if you really wanted to save money, you'd buy like a 20 year old Honda and that would be it. So, right. I mean, if, if this is going to be cheaper than that, then that's great. Right. Well, well, I would say that the main, the main, um, the main advantage of Uber and Lyft is the convenience. Oh, it's the fact that you know now I think most people when they go into when they go into a new uh, when you go to visit uh, a city they don't rent a car they they just they just get an Uber or Lyft and they know they can get around reasonably uh, quickly. So the convenience is a big factor. But now if you combine that's it all with I mean the, exactly uh, with significantly lower. Yeah, I mean, you've cost, got convenience on one hand, then you've got the cost factor on the other, and yeah. I think they might overlap, but otherwise they're relatively different reasons for which you would use such, such a service in the first place. Um, you know, I just realized the time. So with respect to your sure. time and your availability, uh, I know you said you had a few minutes further. Uh, me, I'm good until a hard stop at 2.30. So I'm happy to open it up to wherever else you'd like to take this conversation. Otherwise, I'll just keep <laughs> picking uh, tangents here. Sure. Yeah. Well, Mark, this this is good. We can go for a few more minutes, and if you have if you have more questions that you yeah, want to I mean, I, more I think topics, I, I think for me, you know, the big so. so, well, I guess I'll just put it this way. I mean, obviously, the big reason for me, the drive to spontaneously to sort of up and move to D.C. for the coming month, um, is really because you know I've just I have indeed learned that there's just such a ridiculous gap as between technology and and uh, on the one hand and sort of law and policy on the other. And I just, and this kind of goes back to your point earlier about how, look, you know, Europe's already mandating, what is it, 11 or 13 ADAS systems? And we're still not even quite there yet. And I just think that that it's so crucially important to, again, sort of play catch up, you know, get, get the get law and policy to catch up with where the technology is already getting to. Um, so, so do you see that same sort of gap as well? Do you ever just sort of get frustrated thinking, oh gosh, we can't do X, Y, and Z because <laughs> it's not allowed? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. You know, I think the good news is that, yeah, from a regulatory perspective, I, I think that it's important to have that element as well. But I would say also there's now there's an increasingly more pull from the marketplace, from people that are actually buying cars. They're saying, hey, does this have these ADAS features on them to make me safer? I mean, certainly, 
Uh, not everybody is maybe asking about those or maybe not everybody is aware about those uh, types of features, but, but people increasingly are. And I think, you know, uh, the mandates help, but at the same time, the forces of the marketplace, the pool of the marketplace help as well. And we're, we're seeing that for sure. Uh, uh, for, uh, people, uh, uh, people are asking for it and the OEMs are responding. And so I think that that's what that makes me optimistic about uh uh, ADAS adoption in the yeah, next few years. That, that's actually we'll a good point. I've suggested this in the past uh, as well, that, um, you know, as long as people are exposed to, and again, I'm sort of loosely defining ADAS as basically the subsets that build an autonomous, you know, that, that constitute an autonomous vehicle when put together, right? So I think that if people are gradually exposed to individual ADAS systems and functionality, rather than having a fully autonomous vehicle just dumped on them, so to speak, I think that that's the way to go about it, you know, and, and, um, and speaking of which, the, the other thing I've suggested a few times in the past is that people will be far more accepting, ironically, of an autonomous vehicle once we can finally delete the steering wheel, because it's a bit unnerving to see a steering wheel with no human there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Why, why exactly. do you need that because wheel? the steering wheel is there, then, well, you're, you know, then you have to use it. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, so there are some interesting now, the, the, another mm -hmm, interesting mm -hmm. use case are these shuttles, you know, for example, here in uh, Metro, this is metro Detroit area, we have a startup oh, that came out of yes. Michigan called Maymobility. Ma and, you know, they've received quite a bit of funding and they uh, uh, by Hey, hey Mike, Mike your, your line is cutting out for some reason. Okay, can you, Whoop, can you're you hear me back? Yeah, you're back now. Yeah, back up a okay. few seconds. You said mobility. Yeah, my mobility. So, so uh, they have uh, these shuttles that uh, you know, they're still early stage company, but they have a few shuttles that are low speed shuttles that go around right. uh, downtown Detroit. Mm -hmm. Now, one either Pittsburgh or maybe Washington DC and some other uh, city as well. So that's another application. So you know, with these shuttles, um, uh, they're low speed shuttles, but but it, going back to the steering wheel point, uh, you know, people are probably will be more ex accepting of a shuttle that doesn't have a steering wheel, but because they're coming into the shuttle, they're sitting down and the shuttle takes them where, wherever they need to go. So there are these other uh, uh, business cases that also will drive the industry forward. And again, the, the, the good news about it is that all of these use cases, they, they put a downward, downward uh, pressure on the price, on the costs. Um, True, of course. As more, more and more, more and more technology gets into volume, it becomes less expensive, and then it becomes a virtuous cycle where you can all of a sudden do magical things with it because it's just it costs a lot less than it used to, you know, five ten years ago. And so, uh, and so, so yeah, uh, we're, uh, the, 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 these autonomous shuttles. It's another interesting business case mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to look at. Absolutely. So much, Mike, this has been really a fantastic conversation. I really can't uh, thank you enough for, for making the time. Obviously, again, a huge privilege and honor to have you on, uh, as I say, for my penultimate episode of the season before I go on a bit of a break. So thanks so much for making the time, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, Mark, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Uh, great questions, and it was my pleasure to, uh, to speak with you today. Very good. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that's a wrap for today. A huge thank you again to Mike for your time on today's episode. Uh, coming up on Friday, it's the season three finale. So really excited about this. 
As promised, it's the mega epic episode in which I bring together three PhDs and former guests on this show, actually. Uh, Justin Shore from Philadelphia, Martin Adler from the Netherlands, and Henning Latgen from Germany. And we had a fantastic, amazing 60-minute conversation. Uh, there was just one small problem. We happened to suffer some pretty catastrophic technical issues uh, with Zencaster, unfortunately. So, well, our 60-minute episode is looking like it's going to be closer to 30 to 40 minutes. Um, I'll know for sure once I get through kind of editing and splicing this veritable jigsaw puzzle of audio clips. Look, we obviously had a bit of a talk about this, the four of us, um, but the immediate unanimous consensus was let's definitely go ahead and publish what we have, what we can salvage. Uh, the alternative, of course, would have been to simply can the whole thing and try and do it again sometime in season four. Um, but yeah, so given that consensus, obviously a huge thank you to Justin and Martin and uh, Henning for their understanding and indeed their uh, blessings to go ahead and publish what we have. So yeah, that will go live Friday, the 17th of May. Um, so very excited about that, notwithstanding the technical issues. And I do hope you'll enjoy it. Anyway, uh, that is a wrap for today then. So thank you again so much for listening until Friday. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>